If you enjoy the harrowing of Minerva Damson and want to join the Order of Joan in their fight against the monsters stalking the trenches, there are several ways you can support the war effort. Find us on Patreon and enlist, or donate to the Order on Acast. You can also connect with Order Headquarters via Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Links can be found in our bio. The Harrowing of Minerva Damson is a horror podcast and contains descriptions of war that some may find graphic or disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. She was not dead. This surprised her, but it was not what woke her. No, it was an intense, throbbing pain in her shoulder. Her arm was still dislocated. There was nothing she could do except try to put it in herself. Whimpering, faint from pain, she pulled her tired, sore body into position. Grabbing her injured arm's wrist, she took a deep breath and yanked. She passed out a second time. When she woke again, her arm was back in place and the sun was rising over the countryside, melting the silver frost into a thin, ghostly mist and illuminating the carnage around Cornelia. The horses were gone. They'd undoubtedly run off or been chased away by the vampires the night before. Licking her dry lips, she chanced whistling for them. If they could hear her, they would come. Until one or both of them appeared... She had more pressing concerns. She had to make a sling for her arm. She had to retrieve Rosemond's identification tag. She had to figure out what to do next. She couldn't stop moving. If she stopped, it would all catch up. Cornelia managed the first two tasks. The third threatened to stall her. What could she do? Her guide was dead. She didn't know the terrain well enough to dependably muddle through on her own, especially on foot. Neither horse had appeared for her to ride, which meant they were either too far away to hear her or were dead themselves. She was injured and weak. She wouldn't last long in the elements with her uniform in such shabby condition, and her wounds restricted her mobility. Worst of all, judging from the vampires' comments, there was a necromancer nearby near enough to deliver the package to them in relatively short order. That meant that seeking help in the surrounding villages was risky. Would the necromancer send more vampires after her? Was it the same one the Order knew about, the one that had disappeared from this area for months? 
or was it a different one? Whoever they were, they had summoned an impressive number of vampires already. It would be foolish to assume they didn't have more on hand or couldn't make more to find her. But she couldn't stay here either. She'd be a sitting duck. Perhaps she could find a little fishing boat and float down the ort to a safer location. She'd be highly visible from the banks, though, and easily caught. In the end, she rearranged the contents of one set of saddlebags to lighten the load and began heading north. Rosemond's sword, now hers, belted around her waist. Given the importance of their mission, the Order of Bona would be regularly scrying their location using the first of two identification tags around each of their necks. The one Cornelia had taken from Rosamond was for proof of death. The other was the focus for the locating spell so Rosamond's body could eventually be retrieved. Whenever the Order couriers at the Maastricht outpost did their routine check, they would see Rosamond's marker remaining stationary while Cornelia's headed away at a walking pace and deduce that something had gone horribly wrong. Then they would send reinforcements to retrieve Cornelia and the package she carried. The question was, how long before they checked in again? And how long before help arrived? Heading north, however slowly, would close the gap between her and relief regardless, and so that was the beginning and end of her plan. She encountered Willa's body a mile from Lucialee. The mare had sustained an injury sometime during the skirmish, and she had bled out as she ran away. Cornelia stared at her for a while, her throat tight. She couldn't stop, though. She had to keep moving. Cornelia ran a hand down Willa's muzzle one last time before she forced herself onward, one foot at a time. As she did, she finally reflected on the night before. The last thing she remembered was the unicorn approaching her. Why hadn't it killed her? Maybe it thought she was dead already. She fainted right in front of it, and she didn't need a mirror to know that she looked like death warmed over. Or maybe it had somehow, unbelievably, seen something it liked in her and decided to let her live. That seemed a fanciful possibility, but she couldn't rule it out. There was no way of knowing either way, but the idle speculation helped keep her mind off the nausea from the pain jolting up her arm with every step she took. Distracted by her inner monologue and myriad eggs, she happened upon the soldiers quite by accident. Halt! Halt! She froze. Ahead of her, a group of German soldiers was advancing, rifles raised. She stared at them her pulse rising. Her knowledge of German was limited. Ich bin eine Johanna Ritter. The leader paused, the others behind him stopping short. He squinted at her. There was no way for her to escape, and she didn't have the reserves to try. She would just have to see this through and hope it went well. Carefully, she raised her free hand. Hilf mir, bitte. The leader, a corporal, she thought, gestured to another soldier, and together they closed on her. She watched them approach, stock still, scarcely daring to breathe. The corporal and private stopped, careful to stay out of sword's reach. For the first time, 
she realized the second soldier was shirtless. She glanced past them. The others were busily grabbing shirts and pants off the low-hanging branches where they'd been drying in the sun. The soldiers hadn't been on patrol. They'd been washing their clothes in a nearby stream. She'd just been unlucky enough to happen upon them. The corporal straightened, his rifle drooping down as he realized that she was definitely in no condition to fight. He asked if she could understand German. She answered that she couldn't understand much. He tried French, and that she knew well enough. What happened to you? What to tell him? She supposed the truth wouldn't hurt here. Vampires attacked us and killed our horses. My partner didn't make it. And what were you doing in the Ardennes? We're couriers. The shirtless soldier piped up. She understood enough to know that he didn't like her, and he thought she was a spy. All the knights are, he growled in German. The corporal scoffed. Don't listen to that nonsense, Schuster. They aren't spies. They're women. He turned back to her and switched to French. Come with us, ma'am. We'll get you to our medic, and he'll fix you up. Cautiously, she stepped toward them. The shirtless soldier stepped forward and made to grab her sword. Knight! the corporal said, grabbing his arm and jerking it back. It is against the rules of engagement to disarm a knight without provocation. Who would know? We could say she... No. And if you keep at this, Schuster, I will report you. Glowering, Schuster stalked away, shouting something to the rest of the group who were hastily making themselves presentable. The remaining soldier introduced himself as Corporal Engel. Good God you are in a sorry state. He hovered beside her as they started walking toward the group, looking for all the world like he was ready to catch her if she fell over. My cousin is a knight, you know. In Dusseldorf. She's told me all about vampires in her letters. They sound like nasty creatures from all she's written, though I've never seen one myself. Cornelia let Engel chat. He seemed a well-meaning sort. In fact, he seemed a bit rattled his eyes darting between her improvised sling, the tears in her coat, and the dried blood sticking to her skin from the scratches that had reopened during her fight the night before. Or maybe it was the blank look on her face that bothered him. She couldn't seem to make herself express any emotion, even though she knew it would be in her best interest to ameliorate herself to these men, who now held her mission's success, and her own well-being, in their hands. Together with the rest of the soldiers from the stream, she was escorted to a small farm that had been taken over by German forces. Tents stretched across one cleared field, and the house and barn swarmed with activity. Two farm dogs loped across the field, barking at their returning group. This was a support encampment, and relatively new judging by the crisp bright whites of all the tent canvas. The men inhabiting it were at ease, most of them having been stationed here until they were needed at the front, a few of them having rotated back to rest or receive care. Her appearance attracted curious looks and speculative chatter, but not open hostility. The medic's tent was large, but most of its beds were presently unoccupied. The doctor took one look at her and began scolding Engel in rapid German. Engel, for his part, looked sheepish, Dr. Bartle will take good care of you, ma'am. I must report to my superiors now. Good day. Dr. Bartle could speak Dutch, and he drilled her with questions as he examined her cuts, 
bruises, and her rather mangled arm. After cleaning all her open wounds with iodine, he set to work properly dressing and stabilizing her arm. Then he handed her some bread and water and commanded her to eat. As she dutifully chewed and swallowed without tasting a thing, he shook his head. I have seen the carnage wreaked by the sorcerers enlisted in our armies with my own eyes. It is madness, much like the rest of this cursed endeavor. Utter madness. He paused to survey his work before meeting her eyes. I am sorry about your partner, Knight Dixma. She nodded, her throat too tight to speak. Dr. Bartle sighed. I am also sorry that we do not have any clothes to replace your own. They're barely fit to wear. But you must be tired. Lay back now. I won't let anybody bother you until you wake. Cornelia didn't argue. One of the doctor's young assistants helped her lean back on her cot and covered her with a warm blanket. She slept, and she dreamed. Nora wanted a story for bed, a really scary one for All Hallows' Eve. With a horse in it, she added, before Cornelia could launch into one of the better-known tales. Cornelia gave the appearance of thinking for a moment, though she was really studying her daughter. Nora stared back at her with hopeful blue eyes, her strawberry blonde hair bright against her white pillow, red on white, like Nora's feverish cheeks against her too pale skin. I have a story that should fit the bill, Cornelia announced and went to grab a book from the shelf. The legend of Sleepy Hollow never failed to entertain, and it did have a few horses in it. Nora stared, wide-eyed and transfixed as Cornelia reached the chase between Ichabod Crane and the Headless Horseman. Why did he run? She asked, her voice hoarse. Cornelia marked the page and put the book down before helping Nora sit up for a sip of hot tea. My brave little girl she said with an indulgent smile. Standing and fighting isn't the answer to every problem, you know. How she wished she had never said those words. Nora had been a fighter by nature, and if Cornelia had just encouraged her a little more, maybe she would have fought harder. Maybe she wouldn't have. Well, I suppose if that's the case. If he had been riding Bayard, nothing would have caught him. Cornelia laughed. (laughs) But you have a brilliant imagination. Someday you'll be an amazing writer, I'm sure of it. And a brilliant horsewoman, she had crowed, before subsiding into a series of hacking, (coughs) shuddering coughs. All my stories (coughs) will have horses. Cornelia helped her drink more hot tea and watched, helpless, (coughs) as Nora immediately began coughing again, harder this time. The wild panic that had been living in her heart since Nora fell sick flared up again, burning her insides with primal fear. Mama, Nora said, her little face pale. When you see Baird, you'll ride him, right? Her forehead felt so hot and dry under Cornelia's hand. Cornelia grabbed a wet washcloth and called for her father, who was resting in the other room until it was his turn to watch his granddaughter. The doctor had to be called... They had to. You must, Mama, you must! (coughs) Cornelia shushed her. (coughs) I will, sweetheart. Of course I will. (coughs) Outside, there was a strange high keening. The neighbor's dog was howling again, damn him. 
It was too loud, too noisy, and Nora needed rest. She needed... Cornelia woke suddenly, her hand flying immediately to the unicorn pendant around her neck before sweeping down the front of her coat, her fingertips seeking the edge of the package hidden inside. It was there. Thank God. It was there. Inside the medical tent, it was dark, but for the low, flickering lamplight. Somewhere outside, one farm dog was baying, and the other was making a series of high, frightened howls. She sat up, flinching against her painful shoulder and the sore stiffness of her muscles. Shadows of soldiers moved across the tent walls, and she could hear them talking in excited murmurs. Beyond that, there was further commotion. A banging sound in the barn. The horses were neighing and squealing, kicking their stalls. The doctor was gone. So were his assistants. Two of the other patients were already standing at the entrance, looking out while they shared a cigarette between them. The other remaining soldier was still asleep in his cot. Cornelia slipped out of her own cot and padded over to the entrance. What's happening? She whispered in French, hoping one of them would understand. They both did. Someone rode into camp. There's his horse there, see? Nobody's trying to put it in the stable. She peered past them. Out in front of the farmhouse stood a livered dark horse. Cornelia studied it, uneasy. It had an unnatural air about it. Then it occurred to her why. It wasn't moving. Not at all. Its tail didn't twitch. Its ears didn't flick. Its nostrils didn't flare. Its sides didn't rise and fall. Did you see it's wearing blinkers? Why the devil would you put those on a horse out here? And at night? Cornelia staggered back, bile once again following the panic rising in her throat. That horse was dead. She knew it. And if the rider had taken pain to cover its eyes, the thing reanimating it was infernal. It was a hell beast, and its rider had to be the necromancer. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at UH1.com. That's UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. She had to get out of here. Now. She had already wrapped her cot's blanket around her shoulders and grabbed her sword and saddlebags when Engel burst into the ward, followed closely by Dr. Bartle. Night, Dixma. The doctor hurried over to her, Engel close behind. Quickly, he drew them to the furthest corner of the tent. You must leave immediately. What's happening? A man showed up not ten minutes ago. He demanded to see the Major. He said you were a spy, and that he had come to take you into his custody, and that the authority to do so had been given to him by the Kaiser himself. But I... I'm not a spy. I'm a neutral party. He can't just... No, he cannot. The Major is of the same mind as you on that, and there is no proof yet that you are a spy. He is sending a Morse transmission to command to verify the man's authority, if he has any at all. But Knight Dijkstra... It is possible he will be given permission to take you after all. That is why you must leave. She glanced between him and Angle. But if you helped me, wouldn't you be... I have seen what horrors these sorcerers can do, remember? He squared his jaw. Not on my watch. When she looked at Angle again, his expression held a similar resolve. I told you, my cousin's a knight. If she were in the same situation... I would hope someone would help her, too. Cornelia nodded. I was already on my way out, but you know the surrounding area better. I need to keep heading north. Can you get me a horse? Ingalls shook his head. They're all stirred up. I couldn't take one now without being noticed. But there's a place where you can hide, and I can bring you one later. It was risky, staying put too long and it would be hard for him to sneak a horse out if the camp went on high alert after her disappearance. But she really did need a horse. Let's get moving. They slipped out of the tent. Fortunately, it was on the edge of the cleared field, close to the woods, and nobody was looking for them just yet. Everyone was distracted by the commotion in the barn, the howling dogs, and whatever was happening between the Major and the necromancer in the farmhouse. They had almost reached the tree line when an angry shout sounded behind them. Cornelia glanced back. A man had emerged from the farmhouse dressed in a uniform she did not recognize. He was striding into the encampment, the Major following reluctantly behind. So Command had decided to let the necromancer have her. And he would have no incentive to let her live once he had the package, lest she tell the order of this blatant breach in the rules of engagement. She was just coming to icy grips with that knowledge, 
when another sound split the air, one that instantly set her teeth on edge. Her head swiveled on her neck, looking toward the far end of the field. Emerging from the forest's edge was the unicorn. It tossed its horned head and snorted, pawing the earth with its huge cloven hooves. Its black alicorn should have been difficult to see in the darkness, but it was not. Cornelia's eye was drawn to it, cruelly sharp and gracefully sculptural, a crown forged by a god of war, and fit for nothing less than a god to wear. The first volley of bullets shattered what remained of the silence. One or two seemed to strike the unicorn to no effect. Monster though it was, it was one of the purest magic, and nothing so mundane as bullets could ever hope to put even a scratch in its tawny golden coat. My gods, what is that thing? Ingle stared, his eyes wide with horror. She grabbed his arm with her good hand. Don't stand there! Run! The unicorn charged into the encampment, beginning its assault on the trespassers. Cornelia and Angle sprinted flat out into the woods, away from the chaos unfolding behind them. Perhaps Cornelia's encouragement had been too effective. Angle was running blind through the trees. Young and rested as he was, he quickly outstripped her, disappearing into the darkness. Angle! She called fighting against panic to keep her voice steady. Engel, where are you? Up here, came his voice. She craned her neck. He'd scaled a tree, and all she could see of him was a vague black shadow crisscrossed by branches against a cold night sky. This is the place, he continued, where I wanted you to wait for me. I was going to help you up and then go back. His dark form stiffened. That man who came for you, he's riding across the field. Terror gripped her. Hell beasts were incredibly fast, even when they were masquerading as normal creatures. Once the necromancer had no more need to hide its preternatural nature, it would become too fast for the human eye to track. He'd be in the forest in no time, and find them soon after. For a brief second, she thought about tossing the package to Ingle. But he might not catch it, and he wouldn't know what to do with it besides. If the Kaiser did indeed want the package so badly and Angle was found to be in possession of it, he wouldn't be able to prevent them from taking it. So, she did what her gut told her to do instead. She ran. As soon as her feet started moving, she wondered what the hell she was doing. There was no world in which a human could outrun a hell beast. She was drawn on, called by something she couldn't see. The undergrowth snatched at her, scratching her, threatening to tangle her legs, and then she burst into a small clearing, and there at its center was the big bay stallion. Her daughter's words, so long forgotten until unearthed by her dreaming memory, rang through her mind. When you see Baird, you'll ride him, right? Baird, Cornelia whispered, the name forming a white tendril of mist in the air. The stallion snorted and trotted over to her. He pressed his head to her good shoulder and nosed the front of her coat, his muzzle touching the package hidden inside. Bayard. It really was Bayard. Somewhere in the forest behind them, a new sound broke over the distant commotion at the camp. A hissing, 
like an arrow cutting through air. Bayard lifted his head and turned to offer her his shoulder. It wasn't as tall as she remembered, only about as high as a pony's, and even with one hand she was able to pull herself onto his back. And then she wondered how, because when she looked down again, the ground was much further away than it had been a moment before. Bayard turned north, his powerful muscles tensing beneath her. The whistling grew louder, and an eerie blue light appeared between the trees. No, not one, but two points trailing light. They reminded her of will-o'-wisps, or eyes. Her stomach clenched in horror. They were the Hellbeast's eyes. The necromancer was almost upon them. Bayard lunged, and the world blurred into a dark smear around her. One stride must have carried them a quarter mile. Cornelia flattened herself against his back, the burst of air stinging her face, the sudden change in pressure hurting her ears. For a second, the world came back into focus as Bayard's feet touched the earth. In that brief time, she caught the sharp whistling sound of the Hell Horse's passage growing louder behind them. Bayard bounded forward again, and Cornelia wondered wildly how they weren't running into any trees. But this was magic of the purest kind, and she shouldn't question it. She should just hold on and hope they were fast enough. They touched ground again, the whistling still audible behind them. When she glanced back, she could see the pinprick eyes of blue fire streaking between the trees toward them. She counted the bounds. Three, four, five... Bayard was unquestionably fast, but so was the Hell Horse, and every time they briefly stilled, the whistling grew louder, the blue fire closer, until she could clearly make out the dark shape of the Hell Horse and its sinister rider behind them. Six, seven, eight. The rider didn't close any further. He must have met his limit. He must have... The world blurred and rearranged around them into a wide, open field. Bayard gathered himself for his next stride, but something smashed into Cornelia, striking her between her shoulder blades and sent her flying off Bayard's back into the tall grass. She coughed, stunned and struggling to breathe where she landed. Just then, he saw the goblin rise up in his stirrups, and in the very act of hurling his head at him, Ichabod endeavored to dodge the horrible missile, but too late. It encountered his cranium with a tremendous crash, He was tumbled headlong into the dust. Ichabod. She was Ichabod. And the horseman had just thrown his head. Gasping, (laughs) she rolled over and clumsily drew her sword. Cautiously, she peered above the dry, bearded heads of the grass to scan the horizon. The hell horse emerged from the woods, visible as only a dark blur and streak of blue fire entering the field. She steeled herself. The horse would surely bear her down. It was going so fast she could barely see it, until Bayard appeared out of the blue and slammed into the hell horse. It stumbled and slowed, its edges becoming defined, the rider cursing as he fought to keep his seat. Something metal glinted in his hand. A rifle. He'd shot her. That son of a bitch, he'd shot her. But she was wearing the vest. Why did he run? Standing and fighting isn't the answer to every problem, you know. Well, it was the answer to this one. She wasn't going to disappear like Ichabod Crane. 
The hell horse picked up its gait, but it was no longer streaking like a comet across the field. The necromancer was taking shots at Bayard, but Bayard never seemed to be exactly where he aimed, and each shot missed. He tossed the rifle down with a thwarted shout and turned his attention to scanning the grass. He was closer now, but he didn't know precisely where she'd fallen. This was her chance. She gathered her legs under her and adjusted her grip on her sword, forcing her injured hand to open and wrap around the hilt. No matter how much it hurt, she'd need the extra stability of her dominant hand if this was going to work. Bayard ran at them again, forcing the hell horse to alter its course. Now it was thundering straight toward her, each stride bringing it hurtling closer. The necromancer had pulled his own sword, a thin, cruel-looking saber, ready for use when he finally did spy her. Closer. Closer. The ground shuddered beneath Cornelia's feet. She gritted her teeth, her muscles tightening. Just as it was about to bowl into her, she lunged upright, stepped to the side, and swung her sword at the hell horse's charging form. The hell horse shrieked, seeing her intention too late to avoid the blow. Her steel blade met its chest and sank into it, sparks of blue fire fountaining around it as the magic of the sword cut through the enchanted horse flesh. It sank a little deeper before the whole body suddenly dissolved into smoke and spectral fire before the cutting edge of the blade. The hell horse, vanquished, disappeared on the night wind. But the necromancer did not. His mount's momentum carried him forward, pitching him across the field for another twenty feet before he plowed a new furrow into the cold ground. Cornelia panted in place, staring at the spot where he had landed. She had done it. She had faced the horseman. Her left arm hurt from the exertion, but there was still one more job left to do. Slowly, she made her way toward the necromancer's prone form. He wasn't quite dead, but his back was clearly broken. He was wheezing on the ground. Brown hair flopped over his forehead, the skin of one side of his face peeled back and crusted with dirt. He didn't look terribly old at all. Hard to believe that this was the man that had terrorized the area, raising a series of vampires and binding a hell horse all for the sake of one parcel. But evil did come packaged in surprising sometimes banal, forms. Who are you? She asked quietly. He tried to lift his saber, but his arm must have been broken too. His eyes burned with hatred as he glared up at her. She narrowed her eyes. Where's your magic now? His mouth curled into a snarl. (laughs) Fuck you, you self-righteous bitch! You haven't any tricks for situations like this, have you? He was a summoner, a sorcerer who worked best through intermediaries, not brute magical strength. Not one to get your own hands dirty if you can help it, right? He laughed, and blood spattered from his mouth. (laughs) You haven't seen the last of the likes of me, whore. What you're carrying isn't the only thing of power we want. And it will only take a few of you slipping up to get enough to make the difference. Do you even know what you're carrying? Cornelia studied him a moment. No, I don't need to. I just need to keep it away from you. Giving his arms a wide berth, 
She moved around him, pausing when she was looking down at his head. He tracked her movements, the ire never leaving his eyes. This reminds me of a story I read to my daughter once, she said. But a few things have gone differently. The necromancer scoffed, more blood painting his cheeks. What are you talking about? The legend of Sleepy Hollow. I'm Ichabod, and you're the horseman. Only I've won. And you, you're not headless, are you? He spat uselessly at her. Let's fix that, shall we? She raised her sword and brought it down. After cleaning and sheathing her sword, she searched his body. He wore no identification tags, but he was carrying an envelope bearing the Kaiser's seal impressed in bright red wax, likely the document he had shown the camp's major to assert his authority. It would be of great interest to the Order to know the Kaiser was trying to intercept couriers. She opened her coat and slipped it into the inner pocket carrying the parcel and Roseman's tag. The air was quite cold on her neck, but she paused before she finished buttoning up her coat, her fingertips lingering on the small unicorn charm resting on her collarbone. A soft muzzle touched her shoulder. Bayard stood behind her, his floppy horse lips twitching against her coat. He wickered softly, a gentle sound that felt like an apology. Her eyes stinging, Cornelia turned and threw her arms around Bayard's neck, burying her face in the fall of his mane. He smelled like any other horse would, despite clearly being so much more. It was a comforting scent. It wrapped her up in its warm embrace, reminding her of better days and her daughter's brightest dreams, reminding her why she had become a courier in the first place. Nora had always been enamored with the Order of Bona, the perfect potential means for her love of horses and brazen courage to be expressed together. She would have made a fine knight. Nora would have also been just about the right age to join the Order when the war broke out. For the first time, Cornelia was glad her daughter would never have to face these horrors. And then she felt worse, because life always had its share of pain, and thinking that was almost like being happy her daughter was dead, and nothing could be further from the truth. <sighs> when had everything been turned upside down? How had it all come to this? Nothing made sense anymore. Everything felt wrong. She felt like she was sitting alone in the dark deep beneath the earth, with only her distorted echo to keep her company. She heard no words anymore. Each sound had become an anguished cry. Bayard shifted and stepped back, taking his warm strength with him. Cornelia blinked and rubbed the tears from her face as she struggled to get her breathing back under control. When she finally blinked all the salty tears from her eyes and looked up, she gasped and recoiled. The unicorn was crossing the field at a trot and heading straight for them. Cornelia turned to pull herself onto Bayard's back, but he stepped out of reach. Behind her, the unicorn's thudding steps slowed. Trembling, Cornelia drew his sword and braced for its inevitable attack. The unicorn drew closer, heedless of the sword in Cornelia's hand. It barely seemed to notice it, and why would it? Nothing it had encountered before could harm its seemingly impenetrable magical hide, 
Its only natural weakness was its alicorn, and in the legends only the strongest blades could hope to cleave it from the unicorn's brow. If there was any weapon suited for such a job on Earth, it would be an order sword. The unicorn came right up to Cornelia and lowered its head. She tensed to strike. Its nose nudged her collarbone, and her tags chimed against her charm. Her charm. The tiny silver unicorn. The smallest reminder of her daughter's dreams that Cornelia took everywhere with her. A vessel for a mother to place all her extra love that had nowhere else to go, where she could leave that lingering touch she longed to place on her daughter's forehead, and to reassure herself that, yes, Nora was here. Or at least she had been beautiful and bright once upon a time. The unicorn lifted its head once more, still as monstrously huge and menacing as it had been two nights ago. Cornelia was certain that it had killed people tonight in its rampage through the German encampment. It had destroyed farms and taken lives in the months before from what Rosamond had reported. For that alone, she should probably slay it. But then... Weren't they the trespassers in its garden? Wasn't it just doing what was natural to it? Would she blame a tiger for defending its territory? Well, she might not, but that didn't much change the fact that people were getting hurt. But as she looked up into its big, dark eyes, she found herself lowering her sword. It was dangerous, yes, and fierce, and nothing at all like what she had imagined it would be. But a creature could only be what it was. And it occurred to her that the truth of the unicorn's nature was not, as she had first assumed, an affront to that hallowed image her daughter had held so dear. (laughs) If anything, it was closer to Nora's ideal than any docile, yielding creature could have ever been. She would have loved it. This wild, vicious unicorn, from the very depths of her being. Cornelia had already changed the ending of one story tonight, as she'd once thought after telling her daughter the story of Bayard. Cheating death was a much finer ending for a fairy tale. The fate of this unicorn would be different, at least for tonight. Apparently sensing this shift, the unicorn dipped its head. Starlight flowed across the spiral of its black alicorn, and its tip just touched her shoulder the gesture oddly reminiscent of her knighting ceremony. Then the unicorn turned away, departing without a backward glance. Cornelia watched it go, struck by the bittersweet sensation of having read the final chapter of a book. Bayard sidled up to her, ready to bear her away. She ran a hand down his neck and patted his flank. To Maastricht, Bayard she said, and swung herself onto his back. We have a package to deliver, and a new story to begin. Nora had given her the strength to change her own ending, as well as the unicorns. Still, she couldn't rest, because, she realized as Bayard began his whirlwind race across the hills and valleys of the Ardennes, her work wasn't done yet. There were so many more endings to change and she had the means with which to do just that. The Kaiser's orders were burning a hole in her pocket, after all, and it wasn't every day that a knight could make an emperor bleed.
Thank you for listening to our first interseason arc and for all your continued support for our show. Season 2 is now in production, and we project its release to fall in October. A special thanks to our patrons Alexandra Gant, Cam Collins, Coach Z, Katie Jones, Miranda Pruitt, and Sharon Moore, whose wonderful steadfast support makes our show possible. And a warm welcome to Claire Miller, our newest team member, and the voice of Cornelia Dixma in this year's interseason arc. If you're hungry for more information about the Ordinal timeline in the run-up to Season 2, check out our Patreon or drop us a comment on our Instagram or Twitter. All links in the show's bio. Fair travels, brave knights. Until next we meet. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Harrowing of Minerva Tamsin and its related stories are written, narrated, and produced by Jessica Linkhart and features additional voice work by Miranda Lewis, Claire Miller, and Jamie Sykes. Art assets done in collaboration with Mitch Lewis. Thank you for listening. Our tale will continue next week. <laughs>